We so often wait until a scary diagnosis to take our health seriously, but research shows us that at least 80% of chronic diseases can be prevented by lifestyle choices. The Holistic Health Summit was designed to empower you to take control of your health, whether it be in recovery from disease or in preventing it. Our lineup of world-class health experts will leave you with a plan and resources to help you and your family prevent disease and live a life of vitality. For more details, check out Achieve Wellness Clinic on Instagram and join us in Kissimmee, Florida on March 27th for the Holistic Health Summit. I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. Well, hello everybody and welcome to Designed to Heal. I am your host, Dr. Ben Rall, and I'm very excited to have our guest on today. I, mean, I know you will be excited. This will be one of those episodes where you'll, you'll probably be on the edge of your seat just listening. I love um, people that, that make a stand. I love people that have courage. I love people that um, you know, aren't afraid of, of just doing the right thing, even though it's rare. But when we do meet those people, I love to um, celebrate them. I love to highlight them. Number one, just to encourage them. But number two, it's because hopefully it encourages you. It emboldens you. Uh, you learn something. You say, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. Because the reality is the times that we're in related to healthcare and what's going on in our nation, um, we need uh, we need more than just a few brave people. We need a lot more than that. And so our our guest today is Nurse Nicole, and she is going to be sharing with us uh, what she has seen and experienced inside the hospital system. Of course, I'm a chiropractor, so I'm generally talking about um, holistic, alternative healthcare uh, things. Um, and we we have certainly had a lot of doctors and uh, medical doctors on this show, but we don't talk a lot about what is necessarily happening in the hospitals um, and what you know feet on the ground there. And so we have an opportunity to see that, but also some of the dark side, some of the things that you might not want to know are going on because a lot of times people are afraid to speak out. And so we're so lucky to have uh, Nurse Nicole with us today. Uh, welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much. I'm so will you do us a favor? Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're comfortable sharing, your background, what kind of nursing that you've done and do, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Absolutely. So my name is Nicole. I go by Nurse Nicole. I have been a nurse in Central Florida for about 17 years now. I've worked across various hospital systems, and I predominantly care for cardiac patients or those patients that have uh, heart conditions uh, that can range from anything from a weak heart or to someone who is waiting for an actual heart transplant and everything in between. So I've had the pleasure over the years to meet all kinds of individuals, um, all walks of life, and be able to uh, care for them. So it, it's been an absolute pleasure. So Nicole, when you when you decided to get into nursing, I've I, my gosh, I've, I bet I've taken care of I don't know, hundreds of nurses over my career, and I always love nurses for the most part, unless they're just so they're so done with it or they're so in love with the medical model they don't they don't enjoy me. But most nurses, ninety nine percent of the nurses. I meet, they are the salt of the earth, biggest hearts, will do anything, anytime to help somebody. Um, matter of fact, oftentimes when I'm carrying, when I meet them, 
it's because they they've been taking care of everybody else, not themselves. You know, they're they're just you know they work crazy hours and crazy shifts, and they're always filling in and helping out, and they just tend to be that kind of person. What got you into nursing? So it's been quite a while, but ever since <laughs> I was um, young, I wanted to be in the medical field. Originally, I wanted to work with children, uh, become a pediatrician, mm. and then things kind of went on uh, throughout my studies and kind of more exposure that I had in healthcare. I realized that the real impact, the real groundwork was being able to be uh, someone who spends the most time with our patients. And that is where I decided to kind of flip the script and go into nursing. Um, I think it's a profession that takes a very special kind of person. It is extremely demanding mentally, emotionally, physically, and even more so today than it was when I very first started. Mm -hmm. So when you, so, okay. So you, you're, you're a nurse and you're doing your thing and you're, you're doing, you know, different. And I became familiar with you recently or, or more recently when I became familiar with you was because uh, I was watching some videos of you um, speaking at uh, the council, city council meetings. And you were sharing your perspective, uh, particularly through these last few years as it relates to COVID and mandates and uh, just coercion and some of the things happening in the workplace. Now, you work in Florida. I live in Florida as well. Um, You know, so I think a lot of people think, hey, come on, you guys live in Florida. We've got listeners all over the world, all over the U.S. And, you know, sometimes they think, you know, we've got it going on in Florida, you know, and we do in some ways. I'm very thankful to be in Florida. However, that doesn't mean that um, it doesn't mean that that there isn't things that happened here that are concerning. That there isn't things that are still happening that are concerning. Do you mind sharing with us your perspective, at least initially here? What went on during this whole COVID COVID thing, and start to give us some light from the inside on what you guys were experiencing when the mandates were coming down, and and how you've navigated that. To try to condense it a little bit, you know, basically the the very first mention of COVID was in March of 2020, uh, where we were basically told, you know, that there was this virus that was coming over from uh, basically, you know, China and uh, Italy, and that there were a lot of deaths involved. There was a lot of fear-induced information that was being given, and we were basically told, you know, uh, that this is about to happen. We're going to brace ourselves, and we're going to try to do our best to serve the communities as best we can. Were you worried uh, at the time? I'm curious. Uh, you know, were you like, oh, crap, or were you like, eh, I don't know if this you know, is going to be, yeah. At first, I think there was just such a um, overwhelming amount of information that scientifically at that time seemed a little off. Um, so in the beginning, I think the initial part was, you know, oh, wow, this is this is really happening. But then okay. as time went on, it, it, came, it came a little bit more to light that some of the information that we do in medicine and how we do protocols and things like that were not really matching up. Okay. So to say I was scared, no, I did not have fear because I know that you know, what, what, what to expect when certain things happen. But we, we were learning more as different information was coming and some of it just did not add up to what we practice every day in. And so that kind of made me question, okay, what's, what's really going on here? So what was interesting to me, cause I think sometimes we forget the timeline, you know, that whole first year, you know, March or, you know, whenever, you know, 2020, you know, when the shutdown kind of thing, and then 
because that whole first year, and I've you know heard so many people talk about this. You know, you guys were the heroes, meaning during that time, right? There was no uh, vaccine, and, and not that I am a fan of that vaccine, but I mean, there was essentially what it was being done. It seemed like there was you know nothing that we could do except vent somebody and watch right. them die, unfortunately. And so there's this story going on. Yeah, you guys are the heroes, showing up every day with really nothing to do except you know wear a mask that doesn't work and, and hope for the best. So yet, so my point in saying that is that whole first year, you know, you guys are, you guys are heroes, you know, right. Um, and, and I mean that, I mean that I genuinely mean that, right. You're, you're going in and you're doing, you're doing your thing. You're taking care of the people that you can, but then this, but so the jab wasn't even a thing for that first year, plus or minus. Right. Um, and so what was the, what was the tone inside the hospital? Were you, would you say there more people are like you in inside or less are like you? Was there a lot of fear? You were just a little bit more like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I don't not a person that lives in fear or what was the tone for the hospitals you worked in? Without being able to say the actual mm-hmm. hospital that I was working in, you know, the actual tone was panic, okay. fear, trying to figure out how we were going to do this because all you saw on the news was death, gloom and doom, uh, you know, basically trying to figure out the different ways to help manage these individuals or what they thought was helping. So I think the general idea at that time was that bedside nursing, which I, I want to specify, um, and it's not to say that other nurses yeah. are not important because everyone has their role, but in the hospital setting, bedside nurses are nurses who have direct patient care involvement were the ones that ended up being kind of thrown to the fire, if you will, whereas other areas like procedural nurses that might work in like a stress lab or a cath lab or diagnostic were kind of put to the side, if you will, because they had shut down procedures. The focus shifted on bedside. So we were kind of told, you know, we're going to start kind of gearing up. This is what to expect. For, for months, it really wasn't busy. Because I don't know if anybody recalls, the tone was, do not come to the hospital unless you are having trouble breathing. And this became something that the community heard. It was echoed over and over again and became kind of this protocol where anyone who came to us that did not have certain symptoms at that time were turned away. And I can vouch that 100% because they were so worried that when things started to escalate and they were, you know, uh, assuming that things were going to get really intense really fast because of the type of virus we were told, you know, they were making sure we had enough beds. So there were more patients than not in the beginning that were terrified to leave their house canceling appointments left and right. Nobody was being seen. And for a while, it was kind of eerie how less full the hospital was because we had really no patients at that time to care for because of the conception of, you know, unless you're really sick, you can't come. Or people were just fearful to come in general thinking, well, if they come to the hospital, they're going to contract this virus. This is where these patients So was it was it weird, you know, because I remember seeing reports and I've got some friends on the inside and I remember in different areas of the world or the country and I talked to them and yeah, it was weird. They would be like, you know, they'd send me a picture or they were like, it's a ghost town here. Like, like they had never, right. you know, like they, I remember there was layoffs. There was people being, yes. you know, they were, it was weird. We're in a, a, a so-called pandemic yet we're, we're laying off healthcare workers. Like it was, yes. and I remember hospitals were saying they were going to, you know, go broke and, and all this kind of, you know, weird stuff that was happening. Now there was different pockets of areas that, and, and limited actually, but there was, you know, a few pockets, New York city be an example where there was potentially more, more happening. So, uh, and was there ever a time that did things start to ramp up Nicole? 
Yeah, so we had about towards, I think it was more towards the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, where we started to see more individuals coming to us that were really sick. And at this point in time, I would like to point out that these individuals, most of the time, had already tried to seek treatment prior and were turned away due to not having the amount of symptoms that they thought the powers that be the establishment to admit them, not to say that they weren't given tools. There was a, there was like a kit that we would give individuals from the emergency room that provided a pulse ox, a thermometer and a blood pressure cuff. And basically it was a way to communicate your vital signs with a nurse practitioner and the hospital that I worked at was able to try to keep these uh, vital signs, you know, once or twice a day. And if something was off, patients started to have more trouble breathing or low oxygen. There would be an alert to try to get the patient into the hospital uh, ahead of time so things were not too crazy. But by this time, hundreds and hundreds of nurses had left, whether they were furloughed, fired, took travel contracts somewhere else. So our staffing was, which was already an issue before the pandemic, became even more critical. So then when things started ramping up and more patients were coming in, and now we had this, you know, slew of individuals that were kind of declining very quickly, um, then we started to see the overwhelming amount of uh, issues with our staffing, having enough available beds, and then the amount of patients that were coming in that were were very, very sick. So, Nicole, am I saying this right? Because I think this is what, and I've heard it, if my, it's like, and I still see this sometimes I go to restaurants and you know, when you, you go in and maybe, and you're like, you know, table for two and they're like, okay, it'll be, you know, 20, 30 minutes and you go, but, but there's like 12 tables open. Right. And the issue isn't that they don't have tables open. The issue is that they don't have staff. And so was, it was part of the story, part of the narrative. It wasn't always that we didn't have, we didn't have the staff to take care of the people, even if we would have had the, the beds to have them in. Is that correct? Correct. So majority of the time, it was the amount of uh, staff members we did not have. Okay. And there there was a point in time where the governor uh, tried to lift restrictions by allowing nursing students to come help, Mm. by allowing retired nurses to come back in who had not worked in, in some time to ramp up the amount of travel nurses that we had, anything that could be done. The problem was the mixed skill level the inability to keep up with the types of patients that we had and, you know, specialty and skill sets were not matched where these individuals were placed to try to offload some of the, uh, you know, issues that we had with staffing and other departments. So, yeah. Gotcha. Now, okay. So at this time, Florida, your particular hospital or, or wherever you were at, does, was there any, uh, were we, you know, was anybody talking about uh, HCQ? Was anybody talking about ivermectin? Were you told not to? Was there any, early treatment protocols that you guys were engaged in other than, you know, the kit you just told them that you sent home with them. What was the care that was being delivered or maybe a better way of saying it? What were you guys allowed to do? Cause I know there's been a lot of confusion and debate and I know it actually matters literally what state you were in and, and even sometimes what hospital system you were in for yours in particular, the one you can speak to, um, were you guys not allowed to do that? Was that even a thing? Was it oxygen vents and then wish for the best? What was kind of the protocol? So at the time I worked for a step down unit. So I took patients that were coming from CBICU or ICU, kind of a a little bit of a higher level of care. So at that point in time, the whole point of being admitted was vent the patient ASAP, start proning the patient, which is putting them face down. And there was a ton of emergency use authorization medications. There was something called BAM protocols, B-A-M. 
you know, different things they were trying to do. But at, at no point in time uh, was any of those medications, ivermectin that we started to hear about that was being used in other countries, hydroxychloroquine, uh, vitamin C, high doses of vitamin C, anything like that yeah. was, as a matter of fact, the pure mention of any of that uh, was considered anti-science and could get you uh, in, in a lot of trouble if not fired. I'm bringing this up, and I, I know this is a little bit of a walk down memory lane for people, but it's important because, you know, okay, so you were really, you can see where the fear, I'm, I want our listeners, you know, here you're trying to, yeah, if you actually did speak up or you've got people that are really struggling or suffering in front of you uh, with very real symptoms and you're kind of being told, hey, you know, even even telling them, you know, <laughs> zinc or, or vitamin C or something like that as, you know, you could could literally get you fired. Were you at this point the, a, a black sheep in your, in your crew or were you just kind of, you know, going along or what was... What was your 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 role there? I think uh, to to say in the very beginning, when I started to hear how we quote unquote educated our communities, and by telling them that they were they were not encouraged to seek treatment until mm. they were so far past the point where they couldn't breathe, that's where I knew something was wrong. Because at this point, we've never in the history of medicine yeah. had. They come to us and basically turn them away and tell them don't come unless you're sicker. So for me, it started then. And then as we started to see the different protocols that were coming and how we weren't really seeing such great success with these protocols yeah. and so introducing a trial of remdesivir, which is another medication that is being used and still today, which I think it's about 30 percent, if not more patients who receive it go into kidney failure that ultimately yeah. ends a multi, you know, organ failure. So we started to see all these things kind of happen. And it was just a, I think for the majority, it was just, this is what we're being told to do. This is what we're, you know, there's no questions asked, you know, we don't know any better. We don't know any different and really just kind of push this narrative where some of us were like, you know, this just doesn't seem like we're doing, we're not exhausting all avenues. And the well, fact that you can it up was the issue. Usually the, the knock on, on medicine, is, you know, medical model is, you know, you go there and all they want to do is give you drugs. It, it was weird. What was, what, do you have any thoughts on why they, was it, was it fear? Cause it is weird. Like nothing, not a steroid, not an antibiotic. Like I'm not even saying that those are, you know, great. I'm just curious. What, 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 why was that the thought? Would you think that, were they afraid to have them out? Did they think they were going to be spreading it? They wanted them at home. What, cause it seems very, anti what you know generally goes on in a hospital system I, I can't say for sure but what I do know is that when those patients were not really giving anything and at, and at one point later on probably in 2022 so not even 2020 or 2021 they would start giving very low doses of steroids which yeah. was like a drop bucket so that didn't help but when these patients were turned away and then came back they were so sick and it was like we had already been so short-staffed. And so individuals were not able to receive the care mm. that they needed in a timely fashion. I'm not sure other than to say they were able to charge a lot more for mm. an individual who was tested for COVID positive, admitted to ICU, vented, received certain medications. There was this pattern that we saw with the amount of people that came in that were able to uh, be used in these conditions, if you will, and the amount of money that was being put out and compensated to these hospitals with these protocols being in place. And I, I can only, I can only see what I, I mean, say, what I saw, which was, you know, the more sick they were, the more time they had to be in the hospital, the more money it generated. And yeah. um, what we kind of saw, you know, 
Yeah, right. I, I not that I forgot about that, but now as you as you bring that up, yeah. Whether it's um, now listen, and I don't want to say this, and I know I think you would say this. I imagine that you work side by side with beautiful human beings every day, and and probably some of your best friends and people you 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 know you you go to war with. Um, this is a this isn't about per se bad people, guys. This is a system that has been set up. <laughs> to Correct. that is not for uh oftentimes it doesn't have uh you know the the hippocratic oath in mind it's a it's a it's a it's a business and i only bring that up because we need to be aware consumers right we need to be you know our, oftentimes our own advocates we really need to be our own advocates nurses are often end up being our own advocates i've heard countless stories of nurses that put themselves at risk and harm's way. And I don't just mean from a health perspective, I mean, with their jobs by sneaking family members in to be able to see somebody to, you know, get choked up because I just heard so many stories. I'm sure you saw them just like it should never happen. Right. No, it should never. And to be, you know, to put you guys in the middle of that. And so, okay, the jab, the jab rolls around. So here we are, you've gone through a year, you guys are are the heroes, right? Front lines, you're a bedside nurse. You've seen what you've seen. Had you, did you get COVID? Mike, just curious. Did you get COVID during that time? Um, As far as I know, I might've had it one time. I have, um, I like to say this because I just think it's, it puts things into perspective. I was tested one time at my job and I've been a nurse for 17 years. (laughs) That time was in March of 2020. And I have not been tested since. <laughs> you live to tell the tale. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, it's not a contest uh, nurse, <laughs> but I've, I've never been tested. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tested yeah. every week. I mean, this, the stuff that you hear and you see, yeah. um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's wild how, how it went down. <laughs> so you start, you know, the vaccine's coming because there's all the talk about it, right? You know, and, and yada, 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 warp speed. Are you a person at that time that's uh, saying, I don't, it's not something I'm interested in. I don't like the warp speed. I, I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a vaccine, you know, a uh, uh, hesitant person. I mean, no, share what you're comfortable sharing. But what was, so what was going on in your mind when the jab starts coming around and you're hearing about it? So I think everything should be, uh, should be a person's choice, no matter what, no matter what it is. And again, we can't work in healthcare and, and actually give informed consent to somebody and then expect to turn around and force them to do something that they may not feel comfortable with. So to me, right off the bat, the fact that we were told, emailed, you know, meeting after meeting, basically, you know, by this date, if you are not vaccinated, you will be terminated. And it was just this matter of fact, there was no fluff. There was no working around it. There was no, you know, mention of the fact that for almost a year and a half, we had worked, uh, you know, unvaccinated with reusable PPE that we shouldn't have, that we were working sick and short. They didn't care. We, We were there doing the job. And then all of a sudden, we were told at this date, if you're not vaccinated. So for me, it was just kind of the, the principle at that point, science has its place. There are, um, you know, a lot of things, you know, happened in the past with vaccines that people may question. And, but there are, there is a time and a place for that. But for me at that time, it was a matter of the fact that how it was presented, how we were being threatened and coerced and told that everything about you and your job, no matter how much experience, you will lose if you do not comply. Nothing about natural immunity. That was a no, that was a no, no part of the conversation at that time. Uh, So, and then also curious because you brought up informed consent and I would want our listeners to know this. Um, You know, you, you do this all day long, every day. And correct me if I'm wrong, a nurse, but there's, there's really nothing that you can do to a patient unless they're, you know, incapacitated, right. You know, or, or whatever they rot, you know, they get brought in and they're, they're whatever you have to do life-saving measures, but, this is what this is a backbone of healthcare is informed consent. 
right? Correct. Um, Correct. So, I mean, I mean, I just want a per- person to know that you, you and I even mean this just as a general, and maybe if you have something to say, nurse, but you know, it's like as a general healthcare consumer, I want, I always want people to know whenever when I'm talking to patients and they're a lot of times they, they come in, they're on so many medications and I'm like, well, you know, do you want to be on those? And they're like, well, no, but the doctor, you know, told me I had to, I said, listen, it's your right. body. No, I'm not, I can't tell them to take them or not take them. That's not in my scope, but, but it is their body. It is their body. Yeah. Is there anything about just informed consent in general that you'd want our, our just our audience to, to understand? They always have the right to say no. Correct. So if this is the only thing that anybody hears in this podcast, yeah. I, I can explain it. Informed consent is the most important uh, thing that you can uh, be told in healthcare. You have every opportunity to question or turn down any form of treatment, medication, whatever it is, you have the right to question it. You have the right to ask for more information. What has happened is that informed consent for the most part is rushed, especially in hospital systems. And people are made to feel that it is life or death. And a lot of times the way it's presented is incorrect. It is not always life and death. We have consequences to things that we may not choose to do. However, you always have more than one option. So for informed consent to have evolved the way it has over the past couple of years with COVID, I think is another thing that is just absolutely disgusting as we took an oath mm-hmm. in healthcare to do no harm. And a lot of people are being put in this one category. And what I like to always point out is that medicine is not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. We have a general idea of how things may work with individuals, but it does not mean what works for one is going to work for another. And for people to be told you have no choice or this happens and use fear and a form of coercion is completely inappropriate. And I can speak to that time and time again over the years that I've worked with COVID that people were forced into making decisions that they were not comfortable with, with their family not present. And it was completely, it was just completely inappropriate and I think more of that will come out as the story of COVID evolves and how things worked because people have unfortunately made decisions that ultimately ended in their deaths because of how things were uh, evolved with their health and different protocols that were put in place. But with that being said, you know, um, informed consent, you have every right to say yes or no and know that um, you have other options to, to, to bring up and to talk about in the event you don't feel comfortable. Do not ever consent to something that you are not 100% comfortable with because once it happens, yeah. we can't take it back. I'm just listening to you. I'm thinking, did you have a moment where you were like, am I in the twilight zone? Like, did you have a moment where you were like, what is happening? Where has my profession gone? Where has healthcare gone? Am I the only one left with a thinking brain here? Why are people not concerned about this? Like, you know, again, I'm, I'm outside of the traditional model. So it's easier for me to, to, to bucket and, and, and critique it just cause I don't have to, I don't have to operate if within it like that, but I just have to imagine all of a sudden the jabs coming out and you're going, what the heck, this isn't even, you know, uh, right. you know, we've had, we've had a uh, Dr. Aaron Cariotti on here. He was the medical doctor out in California who, who had a natural immunity. He's a medical, he's a medical doctor and he's a, he's the head of ethics, medical ethics. And he wow. was like, we can't do this. Like, this is not ethically correct. How can and I teach my students this, and he was fired from UC uh, UC Davis. I think is where he was at uh, because of his because of that position. And all he was actually arguing for at the time was that natural immunity should be uh, certainly considered as part of it. So I'm just was it like was there ever a, a switch that happened where you went like, oh my gosh, this is freaking insane? 
Well, there were many. Um, <laughs> I think I think what's sad is like in the very beginning, there were people that just they were fed all of it and they took every ounce of it and they didn't question it. And, you know, they they had just assumed, you know, well, it's coming from, you know, the three letter organizations and it's coming from, you know, medical doctors. You know, surely they're not going to stray us in the wrong direction. Okay. But it just was so different from what I have learned, what I have seen. And I'm thinking this just is not, it just doesn't feel right. But the the pivotal moment for me and something that I have said prior, um, I worked with heart transplant patients, uh, worked with some of the best world renowned surgeons. And I had an instance one time that um, I was sitting down, I was on the computer, he sat next to me, he was making small chat. And the hospital that I worked at had a very strong stance with taking the vaccination and made you feel very different if you did not. And he, for some reason, chose at that point in time to ask me uh, if I had been vaccinated. And because I know him and how he is and how he works, I just stayed quiet. And when I stayed quiet, that was my answer of no. And when I tell you he stood up in front of 20 patients, family members and coworkers, and proceeded to berate me and tell me, you know, hey, I can't believe that you don't take this seriously. And and actually voices after I have worked with him for five years that he does not think I should be able to take care of his patients. I should not be able to have a job at this hospital. And how absolutely disgusted he was that I did not take this whole situation, wow. that he would love to take me to ICU, show me his patients. And I looked right at him. The only thing I could say uh, as Christian as I could was, you know, we all know that what you're saying is not the norm because he threw at me a pregnant individual that was brought in and had to have her baby born uh, emergently, which I ended up getting uh, after she was on ECMO for a few days. And he basically just tried to embarrass me and humiliate me. Even when I brought it up to the right people, they basically told me, you know, you know how he is. Nothing is going to change. Nothing's going to happen. And when he mentioned this young woman, she was 29. She had been brought in, life flighted. She was a severe asthmatic. I find out that two days prior to her being admitted to our hospital, she tried to seek treatment at her local emergency room department, was given steroids and sent home. So she could have potentially avoided being life lighted, you know, being so far sick with COVID and having to emergently deliver her baby. Had she been taken seriously the two days prior that she was brought to us, but because the trend was, you know, we don't want to take up beds, they dismissed her. And then she ends up declining rapidly, even though she was considered high risk. And he he used that as a reason for me to be like, you know, this whole sob story, like you should really take this seriously. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if we took it seriously, she would have been treated right in the beginning. Wow. You know, so this is kind of the tactics that were used and it was over and over again. Well, if, if they, you know, they'd use it against you. Let me ask you, that brings up another part that I, I do want. I don't think I've ever been able to really talk about on this show, but I want to, which is, and you have some incredible um, statistics about this, and I think it's an area that needs to be brought to light. And this story is 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 opening up a little bit of this can of worms, you know. Um, and now, listen, I'm going to say this again. Not that I need to qualify everything I say. I know many wonderful people in healthcare of all different areas and all, and all that. But make no mistake about it: there is plenty of people in healthcare that have what I will call a God complex, right? Correct. And they don't want to be questioned. Um, they don't want to be, you know, uh, you don't ask a question, don't get a second opinion. If you don't do what I say, you're, 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 you know, less than human. Uh, nurses are often treated terribly. Will you give us a little bit of insight 
into what it is to, like to be a nurse. I know you've worked for probably some great hospitals and some great doctors and some great people, but then um, I, I want people to understand that 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 positional authority and 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 what can happen. I mean, there's a great example. We had um, we had Dr. Tenpenny on here one time. I don't know if you know Dr. Tenpenny, and um, she was telling her story. She wanted to be a medical doctor, and she tells her story of volunteering at a hospital. And, and Dr. Tenpenny's dad was a chiropractor. And this was years ago, but she was like, she was talking patient. Oh, you know, when you get out of here, you should go see my dad. He's a great chiropractor, probably able to help you too. Like, was it being weird about it? Just, you know, what she'd yeah. experienced growing up. And she got called in and I don't remember exactly the story, but the three heads, the orthopedic and somebody else. And literally this like little 19, 20 year old girl for like an hour and a half. And they banned her from the campus. They made, walked her out by security. And she's like, I don't ever want to be a part of a profession that does that. So can you tell us the life of a nurse, some of the statistics? I just want people, I always want people to hear what it's like so they can maybe go hug a nurse or something, buy you guys flowers or I mean, every profession has individuals that probably shouldn't be in that profession. So with that being said, uh, there's a lot of really great people in healthcare, but we are being suffocated, censored, blocked, and made to basically not exist because it goes against currently right now what is the narrative of trying to implicate, you know, all this stuff with COVID and, and everything like that. But um, I have actually a similar story where I stood up probably 15 years ago to a certain administration at one hospital because our nurse to patient ratios were unsafe. And I was basically met with a meeting with three of the highest individuals at a hospital when I was 22 years old and basically was made to feel like I was wrong and that I wasn't able to advocate. And they tried to fire me. Now I had already uh, put in my resignation and had another job elsewhere just because the whole interaction, the way it happened, it just, I just didn't fit well with me. But I would like people to know that nurses first and foremost were advocates. We are trained. Most of us are very highly trained in how to care for you. Over the years, there's been a lot of changes in how schools do things, but for the most part, a lot of us come with really good intentions and really wanting to do the best job. At the end of the day, I am there to protect my patients. Right right now, our system is completely overwhelmed. We are crumbling. We have doctors leaving. We have nurses leaving. We have every department in any kind of hospital setting basically understaffed, you know, underpaid, and we're just, we're getting hit left and right. And we have more patients now to care for all across the board than we've ever had to in in my entire career based on the level of sickness and illness that people are having due to lack of resources and or insurance, et cetera. But the fact that we just don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough nurses willing to come in and be, and be put through these situations. They always say there's a nursing shortage. There's not a nursing shortage. There's a shortage of nurses willing to be, you know, uh, misled. You know, we don't have support. We're not paid well. We work very long hours. We don't get breaks. So for us, you know, we're working in this kind of traumatic environment. And a lot of people have anxiety, depression, mental health issues. You know, there's a lot of things that we deal with on our own, but at the same time trying to meet the needs of our patients and making sure they're safe. Doctors are not robots, and right now they are seeing more and more patients than they've ever seen, and mistakes happen. So I think where there becomes an issue is that sometimes, you know, when we try to advocate, it is not met well, whether the doctor is just having a bad day, whether he doesn't want to talk about whatever the case may be. We're trying to voice and protect our patients and speak up, and a lot of times that is met with resistance. It is very rare you have a physician 
who genuinely is like, oh my gosh, thank you for catching that. Or you know what, you're right, let's try this instead, because we are not doctors. And we don't try to play doctors, but we do know our patients. And spending 13 plus hours with them with no breaks, we get to know these people, especially if they're there day after day. So these physicians sometimes can be extremely difficult to work with. Then on top of it, you have administration who is not supportive, although they say they are, they're not. And then sometimes we can have very frustrated and difficult family members. And it just makes this trifecta of a very intense situation. So for us, trying to advocate and knowing that at the end of the day, if you make one wrong move, you could actually hurt someone or kill them. The amount of responsibility is just something right now a lot of people are not willing to do. So they're leaving. And what's happening is we're driving the nursing shortage you know, to the ground and we don't have enough people willing to come in. So now you're starting to see a lot of agency nurses uh, where they come in and they're paid at a higher premium and they're being made to take just as many, if not more patients to meet the demand. And in the meantime, trying to prevent accidents because we've lifted a lot of things since COVID happened with training and teaching mm. and precepting. So it's been very difficult um, to keep those nurses. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, um, if we do one thing right, it is trying to speak up for our patients. What's happened is because there's more newer nurses now, because they're trying to bring in fresh, you know, lines and trying to get them in because a lot of them are compliant with a lot of things with the vaccine and stuff they are not confident enough to speak up. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they're not used to dealing with these doctors who are able, who are, who usually will shut you down. Whereas in my situation, I've been doing this a long time and they know I'm not calling you unless there's a real issue. And two, we're not, I'm not going to stop until you, you address what I need you to do. And that becomes very emotionally and mentally taxing mm -hmm. when all day you're trying to just do the right thing. So a lot of people end up, they just don't, they just, they will just speak up yeah. only when it's, necessary and that can create a lot of you know mistrust in our community our healthcare communities it reminds me sometimes about um, when I talk to teachers and they say like you know this isn't this isn't what I thought it was right like this isn't you know with all the a lot of the changes that happened especially during COVID when teachers were having to be you know custodians and and, and doctors and teach from home and or teach you know virtually and teach at their classroom and it was really wild and they were like this is you know there's a lot of teachers I know that left teaching or wanted to leave teaching during that time when you look back so then the jab starts to get rolled out and would you say at the time just curious your kind of gut on it would the amount of people that wanted to get the jab, would you say it was like half of them? Like, you know, if they would have taken the coercion, the emails, the pressure, the people like that, the doctor that berates you about this, um, what was just your vibe of, of what percentage of people actually wanted to get the vaccine? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think in the very beginning, the number was very high. At that point in time, people weren't really there was just so much going on. They weren't really thinking that when people were telling them administration, like you're going to lose your job, it was just a no brainer for them. Okay. You know, the, the, the economy wasn't doing as great. You know, there was a lot of chaos. People were getting sick. So they were willing to comply to do whatever they needed to do to keep their job because a lot of them were the breadwinners. And you were told and so, it was safe. And I mean, as early on, it was ridiculous statements, but it was still what they said. But, and we need to remember, I mean, there was the, 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 the stuff they were saying, 
the propaganda, I would call it, was it's a it's like I mean literally I have art I have copies of it where it said it's a hundred percent safe and effective. Yeah. It is crazy to me that they would even bother saying that. Now, of course, this the narrative has changed, but I'm doing this in a timeline so we can remember. You know, of course, right now you might sit here and go, well, we know it doesn't stop transition, it doesn't stop infection, it doesn't da 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 the boosters, the side effects, the risk. So the the mandate starts to come, and whatever you're comfortable with uh, saying, uh, nurse, did you so did you say, hey, I'm not taking this? Did you get fired? What happened? So where it turned the corner for me was we started to give actual COVID vaccines to the patients. And when I saw the blank inserts that came with the COVID vaccines and the 15 page packet that the patients had to sign that basically told them that this was an emergency use authorization medication. We do not know what it's going to do. Here's the VAERS information, sign right here. You will only get your first dose. You're responsible for the second. When I saw that, I said, again, no, thank you. We're not doing this. I would make sure that the patients knew you do not have enough informed consent. I don't have enough to tell you. All I know is this. And if you feel comfortable with that, a majority of the time, because of how it was presented and pushed on the patients by the doctors, most of them felt that they were safe in doing so because a medical professional told them it would be okay. So for me, when it was coming to closer to the time of they told us, you know, listen, you're going to lose your job. And if anybody that knows me understands, like I walk to the ends of the earth for my patients, for my teammates, I've worked management, I've done all kinds of things. I stay late. I've done everything. I was willing to lose everything. And I spoke to my husband and I told him, this is happening. We have till this date. If I do not get the vaccine, I will lose my job. Are you going to be okay if I walk away from this? Are you going, you know, are you going to be supportive? And without even hesitating, he's like, I trust you. And honestly, um, if you're not comfortable, I know, I know, you know why. And so I, I was told with 2000 other healthcare professionals at the hospital I was working at, by this date, you're going to be terminated. Okay. And I held out. Uh, some of them were caving because they did not want to lose their job. And by this point, this is when the So that 2,000 were ones that were, at that point, hadn't gotten it, you're saying, of the hospitals. Is, yeah, there was 2,000. 2000 2001. So we, it was in August of 2001 where we started to get like the pressure. And then the date was, I believe, December 4th. And I believe right before that is when DeSantis put out the exemptions and it went from a hundred percent people have to be actually vaccinated to, we have to have a hundred percent compliancy with either vaccination or medical or religious exemptions, which by the way, the process of which that happened Mm -hmm. is a, is a, is a, is a journey in itself. (laughs) So, but you said 2000 others, is that right? So in your organization, there was 2000 that had not at that point gotten vaxxed. Is that what you were saying? Correct. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Gotcha. So, so what happened? So we started to have the religious exemptions, you know, said, you know, hey, this is something that we offer to you. What I noticed immediately was the medical exemptions had a list of diagnoses or previous illnesses that people can get from vaccines or maybe would exempt them from a vaccine that they basically right off the bat said, uh, doesn't matter if you've had any of this, you can still get the vaccine. Uh, But if you have a medical doctor willing to sign saying why you can't, you have a legitimate diagnosis, uh, we will be willing to look into it. And at that point in time, there were very little medical doctors willing to put their name on it because they were being threatened. They were 
they would be fired. So then it was like, okay, let's do the religious exemptions, which became a controversy because people were then saying, you know, people were applying for it that weren't really religious and all this other stuff. And we had to do everything electronic. So the religious exemptions at this facility and, and still to this day, cause I'm one that has to fill it out every time I try to work somewhere. Mm. will basically ask you anywhere from six to 10 plus questions on why due to your religion and your religious beliefs, are you not comfortable getting this vaccine? Do you get other vaccines? Mm-hmm. Why don't you get them? What are you going to do in place of if we allow you to work and don't get the vaccination? Very poking, very prodding. Yeah. And then it goes to a committee, uh, which then subjectively will decide whether your religious or medical exemption is worthy to them to then move forward, which is something that I've been speaking out against with Ron DeSantis letting him know that the exemptions were a godsend, but there are loopholes and there are people that are still denying them regardless of what you say. I want our listeners to understand this because it's not, for some of you, it might not be what you think. You go, well, come on, there's religious exemptions, there's medical exemptions. I can't tell you how many people I tried to get connected to, you know, other physicians or, or doctors that were, we were trying to help them, you know, get support and get help. And and I mean, people with genuine health. I mean, I had, I had people in my office. I had a woman that has uh, had Parkinson's and another one that had had a heart attack and a stroke and they, she couldn't get doctors. One had had severe allergies, couldn't get doctors to sign, even though they said, this is, I'm sure you had this happen. They literally said, Oh no, no, you should not get the vaccine. And they're like, okay, great. So uh, can you sign, you know, a, a medical Correct. exemption for me? And they say, oh, no, I can't put my name on that because they'll, then they'll come after me, right? And it was, it was so disheartening. But so, so please understand this, guys. It's not as easy as, hey, whatever. If they don't want it, they don't have to get it. And I always, and, and I, I always go back to, but listen, you're also asking me to take something that's emergency use. Like you said, you've literally held in your hands, you know, the, the, the vaccine insert that literally is a blank piece of paper and said, I mean, and you're asking me to inject this, like, this is insane. And let's just use our memories here, guys. I've, I was on the front lines face to face every day with people, been doing this for 17 years and I was a hero, but now I'm a zero. And by the way, this is the same vaccine that doesn't stop infection and doesn't stop transmission is now showing negative efficacy, even making people worse and all the side effects and everything else that's going on now. So the fact we're even having this conversation, but the, that now we get to the point where we're having a religious exemption and some room of people that who we don't even know their perspective on faith. They could be all atheists for we know, and they're going to sit there and decide if my religious convictions or my religion, listen, people have more rights in prison than they do in in this. I want a person to understand this because I've had this, I've had this happen with patients as well, where they've submitted their religious exemptions and they were denied. I mean, each person is belief. I'm who am I to judge their level of belief? I don't know. know? And, And then I've even heard people say, well, Hey, but you got that in the past. Why not? As if you can't have a change in your faith as if you can't, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, just wild to me. So you, you experienced that, but you've been able to, at, up to this point, you've been able to, to make it, if you will. So I haven't had any issues until probably around December of last year. I applied to work at one of our local hospitals. I was hired. And then during the compliancy part of the inter, uh, the job process, I was told that I would have to get revaccinated for childhood vaccine, okay. uh, being the chickenpox <laughs> And, you know, back when I was younger, I had chicken pox. So for me, mm-hmm. I don't get back for it. There's no reason for it. Yeah. And 
a couple other things that they asked. And I said, you know, that I was going to file exemptions for them because, you know, every other place I've worked at uh, will push you to do it, but they don't like to admit that there's exemptions. And I just ask and I stand firm, no issues. And they basically uh, let me go. They said that we, I would not be a good fit because uh, under no circumstances would they allow additional exemptions uh, on these other vaccines, not even related to COVID or the flu vaccine, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting that they could legally decline yeah. to hire someone when we can also use exemptions for the others. So this is another reason why I've partnered with Health Freedom Florida to promote their uh, bills that are on the you know, uh, Senate and House to, to promote discrimination against discrimination to anyone in the state of Florida, re- regardless of their vaccination status. And this is in extending across all vaccines, not just COVID and flu. So it's SB222, HB305. And basically it just says you cannot deny a child to be seen by a pediatrician because they're not vaccinated. You cannot deny a child to go to school if they want to file a religious exemption. You cannot deny a healthcare worker plus because they decide not to get a chickenpox vaccine. So basically it covers all vaccinations, uh, which extends what the governor's trying to do now. But I, I just want people to understand that the reason why some of us are speaking out and fighting for everything in our livelihoods is that this eventually is going to trickle down into other things. Yeah. And I Day, that it would be to protect my job and to protect my children. But if we do not stand up and let people know that this is happening, that healthy, educated, so I'll just speak for myself, yeah. nurses are being declined the right to work because of my vaccination. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I've worked for 17 years and never had this issue. That's a problem. This is discrimination. This is this is just like saying that I have maybe a different skin color or that yeah. I have H. You're literally discriminating and then turning around and having the audacity to say that you have a nursing shortage when people are willing to work. And that that goes across other professions, too. But just to speak to us, we are the only profession right now in the United States that still has mandated federal you know, yeah. mandates, but, you know, no one is, no one is going to bat for us and it's crumbling our healthcare system. And as people see more people are getting sick. And unfortunately I have had many encounters from individuals who got vaccinated, who regret it mm. and have had severe adverse reactions and medical illnesses because of it. And they are treated with zero respect and they are made to feel like they are crazy. And it's just heartbreaking to see and we need nurses and healthcare professionals to be there to care for these individuals. And I'm telling you, we don't have enough. And it's becoming a major issue. And we're not, there's nothing going in the right direction right now to make that better. So until we try other avenues and let the public know, like, this is happening. And if they say, oh, well, it has nothing to do with that, I might not go to the hospital. Yeah. You need care. You're eventually going to go to your doctor's office or urgent care. <laughs> yeah. you know? You, these people are still in those prof- you know, those areas too are short staff. We don't have enough people. And God forbid you need emergency care. You know, nurses right now in triage in an emergency department in Florida may have 15, 20 patients offloading, you know, fire trucks and ambulances that have waited three hours sitting with a patient because we don't have a nurse to take them. You know, people don't realize in other states they have called the fire department and the police department from their emergency rooms begging for assistance. This is this is a go- simple Google search. This is happening. They don't realize that this short staffing that is being further driven by these mandates 
is creating absolute unsafe chaotic care. And it's important that people, I don't want it to be said out of fear. I don't want you to be fearful. We just want to empower you to know that we need to make positive change. You know, things have happened and we just need to figure out where to go from here in a better way. You know, there's an old saying and I'll I'll paraphrase it, right? It was, it came out of the history, uh, I believe in the, in the, Nazi Germany time, but it said, you know, they came for the Jews and I wasn't a Jew and they came for the blank and I wasn't a blank. And, but eventually they came for me and there was nobody there. And mm-hmm. you're exactly right. Listen, if you know, so you're, you might not be a nurse, you might not be in the, in the medical profession and you go, well, you know, it doesn't really affect me. To me, it's nothing less than medical tyranny. When we fall under that and they can begin to mandate what goes in or on your body, we have a problem. And when they, and, and, and that just, and I mean that as now, you know, I'm very outspoken on my, my position on that, of course. And I, and I'm, but, but I also am just a firm believer, but I'm a firm believer, not only in in choice, but like you were alluding to informed consent. So I'm also uh, against fraud (laughs) against, you know, when they're lying to people and they're doing studies that aren't appropriate and they're, they're misleading people about those results. So, because like you said, there's not, I've, I've seen some of the numbers as I'm sure you have, the number of people that are actually willing to get the boosters now is like dropped off a cliff. I mean, I've seen numbers as low as 6%, as high as 13%. Uh, very far down. So, I mean, you're going to have these doctors and nurses that have seen the injuries that have seen it. Um, and they're going to, they're refusing to get it. Now, if there's a mandate sitting on top of that, they're going to hopefully at some point people, enough people rise up. And like you said, with the bills that we have going on here in Florida. So, but, but know this, you guys, at some point you might go like, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm telling you, it will matter to you. If we do not retain the freedoms to choose what goes in or on our bodies or our children's bodies, it's a big, big, big deal. We have the time to fight is now. I think we all saw what happened by um, by trusting uh, people that we maybe shouldn't have. We allowed them more latitude than we probably should have because we, like you were saying earlier about some of your colleagues, you know, hey, it's the doctors, it's the CDC, it's the FDA. They probably, you know, they wouldn't lie to me or, or give me half truths or whatever. Now that cat is out of the bag. And so now we, now it's on us. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. At some point now we have to say, hey, I have to advocate for myself. I have to know what's in these things. I have to understand the studies. You don't have to be, you know, super nurse like, like, like nurse here. You don't have to be a doctor. You really don't. Okay. You have a brain. You can read. You can ask good questions. It doesn't make you a criminal. I'm so thankful, uh, nurse that, uh, Nicole, that you got on today. I know that you, every time you do things like this, you, you know, you potentially jeopardize your career. I know you've counted the cost and, you know, it sounds like you have a very supportive husband. And for those dads and those husbands out there, please, please, at least what, what her husband has done and says, maybe I support you and, and all that. But we're, we're, we're as much a part of this, you guys. We're part of the family. We're part of making medical decisions for ourselves and our family. You also need to stand up because this isn't over. There's going to be another right. something. Fill in the blank. Just there, there will be. Any final words for us, uh, nurse? I just want to say that I know right now there's a lot of people that are kind of, you know, they're confused, they're angry, they're Mm. scared. There's a lot of mistrust in our healthcare system. And I can say as a nurse, I'm right there with you. I've seen a lot of things that have made me really sad because this is not the profession that I first started in. But Mm. I, I want to end it with you are empowered to take care of your own health We have lots of resources and things that individuals can go and and educate themselves on, network with your people. You know, you have every right to not feel coerced into things that you do not feel are appropriate for your care and to just be kind because there's a lot of individuals that have had to make some really hard choices and they had to vaccinate or thought they had Mm -hmm. to vaccinate 
regardless of the situation. We want to just be kind because they are terrified that something is going to happen to them. And we are seeing some adverse reactions and bad things. And we just want to be supportive as a community and just know that we are going to get through this and that it's going to be okay. And there's a lot of healthcare professionals out there that genuinely want the best interest for you. We are just in very difficult positions and some people are a little bit more outspoken than others. It doesn't mean that they don't care or they don't want to advocate for you. It's just, we have everything on the line and we can lose everything. So until major things change, Just know that there are different ways people are trying to help and that you're not alone and that, you know what, again, be empowered and good things are coming. We're thankful for you and um, I'm sure we'll uh, continue to see you uh, sharing truth and and, and fighting on behalf of your patients and behalf of your profession. Thank you for everything you do. God bless. Yes, sir. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.